It's Sunday, June 19th, 2016. Her book, an autobiography about her adventures on the sea, was a remarkable tale and a bestseller. It was an amazing story, but perhaps a bit too amazing. And today we hear the story of the 1929 book, Cradle of the Deep, on the 93rd episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee on Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday. It's time for coffee, and I am your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. I'm so glad you're with me today. Look, um, I'm thinking about hiring an assistant to help me with coffee with Jeff. And, uh, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're interested in the job, I can't afford to pay you any money, but I can make grilled cheese sandwiches as payments, so uh, let me know if you're interested. Well, you only have seven weeks left to enter the Coffee with Jeff mug contest. For your chance to win a Coffee with Jeff mug, just send me an email at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com. Just say, I want to win a damn mug. We'll pick a winner on my 100th episode. What are you waiting for? Well, it's a busy weekend for me this weekend, so today's show is going to be a little shorter than usual. As soon as I get this recording done, I'm going to a bocce ball tournament. Yeah, bocce ball. It's a yearly event at my brother's home. And uh, Anyway, personally, I'd rather sit around and drink beer, but you know, I, today I get to throw a ball across the lawn, so there you go. Oh, wait a minute, what's that? Movie talk? All right, because of my tight schedule, I didn't have time to get a good UFO or Bigfoot story, so I thought I'd talk about a movie that I like, the 1940s film, The Philadelphia Story. Here's the thing. I only want to talk about one scene from the film. I mean, The Philadelphia Story is a wonderful film, but there's one part that, well... Look, if I'm in a bad mood or or feeling down, there's one part of the film, I think it's about 40 minutes into it, that uh, always brings me up. Catherine Hepburn plays Tracy Lord, and for the record, that's where the ex-porn star got her name, and she has a sister named Dinah, played by Virginia Wielder. Now, Hepburn is a high-society woman who is getting married and James Stewart and Ruth Hussey are reporters who go to their home to cover the wedding. Now, the scene I love is when Virginia Wilder first meets Stewart and Hussey. And she plays a little game, tricks them a bit, and here's how it sounds. Ah, how do you do? Friends of my brother Junius, are you not? Oh, I, we, I, I am I, Dinah Lord. My real name is Diana, but my sister changed it. I'm Elizabeth Embry. This is Macaulay Connor. Oh, sure. And then she goes to the piano and sings. Lydia, oh Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? Oh Lydia, the dead lady. She has eyes that folks adore, so and the torso even more so. 
what is this? Idiot, the queen of tattoo. On her back is the battle of Waterloo. Beside it, the wreck of the Hesperus too. And proudly above waves the red, white, and blue. You can learn a lot from Lydia. Of course, that's the song that was made famous by Groucho Marx, and, and at the time was a little risque for a young child to sing, which makes it all the more funny. And when Catherine Hepburn sees what's going on, she plays along and talks a little about smallpox. Ah, oh, the little birds, you're a veritable petit chauffeur. Yes, you do. Let's see. Mais qu'est-ce qu'il y a? Voyons, tu es toute folle. Mon droit à Oh, j'espère bien que ce n'est pas le smallpox. Le smallpox? Mais oui, va dire à maman de se dépêcher. Anyway, I thought I'd just share that with you today, and uh, I'll have a link to that scene on Psycon's Coffee with Jeff Page. And so now, why don't we get into the 1929 book Cradle of the Deep by Joan Lowell. This podcast is part of the Psycon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Psycon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. What is it, this head that lives without a body? A monstrous thing that enslaves every woman, destroys every man who stares into its eyes. The thing that couldn't die. Simon & Schuster published the book Cradle of the Deep in March of 1929. It was the amazing and thrilling autobiography of Joan Lowell who spent the first 17 years of her life aboard the ship, the Minnie Kane, a four-mast schooner. When Joan was born, she was known as the Lick of the Pan because she was the last of 11 children and no one expected her to grow up. Her father said, This is the last one and I'm going to save it. I'm going to take it away from the land and let the sea make it the pick of the puppies. Her father was the captain of the ship and was engaged in trade between the South Sea Islands and Australia. In 1902, at not even a year old, her father, who owned the ship, the Minnie Kane, took her aboard and from then on, life sailing across the seas would be the only life she would ever know. One of the ship's crew, a man named Stitches, built a hammock of canvas for her to sleep on. And from that day on, Stitches devoted his life to Joan. Aboard the ship, Joan wasn't given any special privileges just because she was the captain's daughter. When food was in short supply, she went hungry just like the others. And she was required to work just like everybody else and had to say yes sir to her dad. Above all, she was taught the code of the sea. Never to squeal on anyone, to take punishment without a squawk, and to be ashamed to show fear. There were no children for Joan to play with. In fact, there were no other females aboard the ship. Her playthings were seabirds, little toy ships, and a lifeboat. Sometimes she would sit in the lifeboat and let her imagination take over. She would pretend to row until she found a place with other children she could play with, like the children she had seen playing when the ship was in port. She lived aboard the ship with its all-male crew till she was 17. In her years on the ship, she learned the art of seamanship and once harpooned a whale all by herself. She helped with an injured sailor's amputation and had seen a shark eat a man alive. She also learned how to swear like a sailor and at one point played a game of strip poker with the other men. And then at 17, in the waters off Australia, Joan was asleep when she heard the word fire. Fire. 
She thought it was a dream, but soon realized the ship was actually ablaze, and she found herself paralyzed with fear. When she finally began to move, a group of cats that had been her friends on the ship clung to her flesh, digging their claws in. Flames were everywhere, and she thought she was going to die, but somehow she made it to the lifeboat. The leaky lifeboat pulled away from the burning ship, her father still on board. And just as it sank below the water, he and the first mate jumped in the water and swam to the lifeboat. Stitches, unfortunately, didn't make it and died aboard the ship. For the first time in her life, Joan saw her dad cry as his beloved ship sank beneath the waves. He didn't have time to grieve for long as the lifeboat was also sinking. Joan, swim for it, kid. The light ship, he said as he pointed to a pinpoint of light which was about three miles away. Swim slowly and high out of the water and breathe deep, Joan, as deep as you can. Yes, sir, she answered as she tried to hide the terror she was feeling. She tore off the nightgown, but somehow the cat still clung to her flesh. Taking a deep breath, Joan jumped in the cold water and began to swim. She could feel the pain of the salt water on the cuts and scratches made by the cats, but kept swimming. One of the other crewmen who was swimming in front of her began to sing. She finally heard her father say, Just ahead now, there she looms. That was the last thing Joan remembered until she woke up on the iron deck of the lightship with only a man's vest over her naked body. Unfortunately, the cats didn't make it. Cradle of the Deep is a fun book, and even more so because it was advertised as a true story. It was a huge success, becoming a bestseller in 1929, selling more than 100,000 copies. It was well-received by critics and earned Lowell over $50,000 in royalties. The Book of the Month Club chose it as their March 1929 selection. Lowell was featured in newspapers, photographed on ships, and even wrote a Saturday evening post-essay about lessons learned from life on the sea. One of the most successful filmmakers of the time, D.W. Griffith, bought the film rights for $75,000. The Los Angeles Times wrote, It can't be reviewed. It must be read. Warning, start early in the evening. You won't want to stop until you're through. It was an irresistible tale, and some began to think that it was almost too amazing. It seemed more like something out of a Hollywood movie. And to people who knew life on the sea, much of what she wrote just didn't sound authentic. Nautical experts who read the book found numerous flaws, including facts that any amateur sailor would not have made. And then a couple of reporters from the San Francisco Chronicle and Berkeley Gazette began to investigate Lowell's past. It seemed that her book was a little more fantasy than fiction. They interviewed family and friends and found that Joan had spent most of her childhood at a home in Berkeley, California. Now, she did have a sea captain father, but most of her voyages were just little short ones with her mother and two brothers by her side. And the ship, the Mini A. Kane, which caught fire and sank in her book, was a real schooner, but was still floating in the Oakland docks. Her father was its captain, but only for about a year. Joan's real name was Helen Joan Wagner. Her classmates remembered that she liked to act in school plays. 
In an article in the Pittsburgh Gazette on March 17, 1930, in which she was interviewed, described her early life. She was barred from the Berkeley High School because she never heard of Zeus or Shakespeare. She first worked in a perfume factory for $30 a month, then as a scab in a telephone strike. She read to a blind man to cultivate her voice, served as number 22 in a canning factory, washed cars in Hollywood, waited on tables, took care of children for 25 cents an hour. During these years, she managed to squeeze in a business course and became a stenographer. Eventually, she became a movie extra at Goldwyn Pictures, now calling herself Joan Lowell, getting bit parts in films. She never had a lot of success. Appearing in only six films between 1923 and 1925, the last of being in Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush. She plays Georgia Hale's friend and can be seen in a couple of scenes. She also acted in a few Broadway plays and, and was a reporter for the Los Angeles Examiner. She said she got the idea to write after she found out that some friends of hers were selling some of the letters that she had written to them. She wrote an article and it was about 5,000 words, but, but the publisher wanted a lot more. They wanted to make it into a book. While the hoax seemed like a big deal to some, including the Book of the Month Club, who offered refunds to those who bought the book, couldn't understand why the revelation didn't cause more of an outrage. He worried that this signified a decline in ethics within the publishing industry. Richard L. Simon from Simon & Schuster was said to have a small nervous breakdown because of the affair, and other rival publishers laughed at Simon & Schuster for being fooled by the young lady. Despite the evidence, Joan defended herself. In an interview in the Pittsburgh Press, she said, 80% of it was true and the rest I colored up. I made some changes to protect people and the rest to make it better reading. That's an author's privilege. And then in another interview, she said, any damn fool can be accurate and dull. How she figured 80% of the book was true is beyond me. She said, at first I cried when they criticized my book. Then they told me it was good advertising, so I stopped worrying and made no attempt to answer back. The book was later parodied by Corny Ford in his book, Saltwater Taffy, in which Lowell abandons a sinking ship and swims to safety with her manuscript in hand. Now, this is the point of uh, Coffee with Jeff's story that usually turns dark. There would be lawsuits, drugs or alcohol abuse, fighting, poverty, and possibly a suicide or murder. I mean, Joan Lowell needs to pay the price for fooling the world, right? I mean, she tricked the world into thinking she was raised by an all-male crew aboard a ship. Surely there's got to be some consequences. Nope, not in this case. Her story was eventually turned into a film, the 1934's Adventure Girl, in which Joan narrates herself. In the mid-1930s, she became a reporter for a newspaper in Boston, Massachusetts, and worked for WOR, an AM radio station in New York City. She wrote her second book, Gal Reporter, about her experiences. Her last connection to Hollywood was when her book, Florentine, was made into a film in 1937. Strangely enough, she actually married a real sea captain, Leek Bowen, in 1936, and the two traveled to Brazil to carve out a coffee plantation. 
she chronicled their adventures in the 1952 book Promised Land. Joan Lowell died in Brazil on November 7, 1967 at age 64, never admitting that her first book was a hoax. So that's it, the end of the story. A woman who sold a book based on lies and paid no price for doing so. She seemed to have a fairly happy, full life. You know, sometimes true tales just don't give you the horrible ending you were hoping for. Everybody needs a friend sometime To ease the burdens of a troubled mind Girl, it looks like something's bugging you I'd like to be the friend to pull you through I see people rushing round being mean to one another But even the worst of them will soon discover Everybody needs to have a friend To sit and talk things over now and then Someone to share some coke when they feel low A glass of coke can make a friendship grow Thomas, making friends for Coca-Cola. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. So I'm going to apologize right now for having such a short story today and keeping the episode a little short. Like I said, I have a lot of things going on. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend, and I'm sure I'll have a story that'll freak you out next week. I mean, I hope so. I haven't written it yet. Just to follow up a little on Virginia Wilder, the young girl from the Philadelphia story. She was one of those actors who just never made the transition into adulthood as far as an actress and and retired from acting at the age of 16, but, but seemed to have a pretty good life away from Hollywood. And now the ending credits. You know, it costs money to run a podcasting network. We have bills to pay and whatnot. So why don't you think about helping us out by becoming a sponsor? You can do that at our Patreon page. Just go to psycon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm for more information. And of course, thank you to everybody who already contributes. Speaking of Psycon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find an amazing amount of geek culture. And of course, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com. If you want to complain or just say hi, that's okay. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word. And I have a Facebook page that I would love for you to join. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin, then just go over to iTunes and leave a review. Those reviews really help me out. And remember, all the links to the sources I use to write the story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network, to my wife of 32 years for being my wife of 32 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme song, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost this on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you so much. You folks have a special place in my heart. Till next week, Coffee bye. With Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. I want some.
He once tried it with some cream Didn't like it, now he never looks back Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging around She drank tea, but that was okay She was the dawn of Jeff's new day Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, more coffee with Jeff Years go by and life's filled with change Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with